podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we have completed all of our Kansas football opponent season previews, so it's about time to go ahead and take a look at the Jayhawks. To help me do that, joining as he does before every football season, Scott Chasen of Fog.net. Scott, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always great to have you in. Um, you know, we got a couple different beat writers we'd like to talk to, but I seem to have you on the most. Um, I, I don't know exactly what that says, but I, I know we always have a good time when you're on. So it says I have the most free time. I think that's what it says. <laughs> Very, you know, that, that that is probably at least one of the things that it says. So, <laughs> All right, Scott. So obviously there's a lot of change for this particular team. There's a lot of things that have really happened that we really kind of have to take account as we're trying to figure out what to expect from this team, what expectations are for this team, and kind of what it is you know, that, that, that Kansas fans should be getting excited about. So let's go ahead. I, I want to start, though, by taking a look back at the last season. Obviously, a lot of things are different because of the COVID season um, and then everything that happened afterwards. But I still feel like there's at least some sort of lessons that we can take away from what happened with that team um, and kind of what carried forward into this year. So what was your main takeaway from the season that we had last year, whether it's roster or, you know, in terms of, because some of the coaching staff is still here that was there last year. Like, what are you expecting to carry over from last season into this season? Well, I think the big takeaway is something that I think is talked about a lot in football, but is not always, maybe it's talked about more than it's known. But to me, you know, if you had asked me before, what's the most important position group to determine the success of a team, I would have told you quarterback. I would have said absolute most important thing is developing, finding the guy, sticking with him, whatever. Uh, after watching last year, and I think any KU fan who watched every game, the answer is offensive line, and it's not particularly close. I mean, l- let's forget, you know, just for a moment, that guys like Ryan Willis, Montel Cozart had pretty good success elsewhere after leaving Kansas, but it, it didn't matter who Kansas stuck behind that O-line. It did not matter what plays they were calling. It did not matter um, what running back was in the game. Kansas could not move the ball ever in, in any game. I think there might've been one game. They scored more than 20 points on offense. And that was uh, maybe coastal Carolina because the other games they did, you know, it was with a kick return touchdown or, you know, some kind of other score. I think we saw the gap of where Kansas needs to go at one position. And that kind of, I don't want to use the word poison because it's so negative, but that it carried over into all other groups and made it hard to learn other things. So I think it told you this roster is young. I think it, it taught everyone that um, there's a lot of growth that needs to happen. I, I do think there were some standout players and some of the Jayhawks definitely wish they could have kept. Uh, but the big takeaway for me was just, yeah, it's really important to have that offensive line and, and have it playing well together. Because if you don't, it, I mean, that last year's team could have had Aaron Rodgers and, and maybe they win one game. Maybe that's the difference in it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm a big math guy. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is um, kind of what determined or like when you're trying to prove something or when you're trying to show that something is actually the case. Right. You you, you, you talk about all the different requirements that you have, um, you know, and kind of like what would lead from one thing to another. And I think what we learned is that offensive line does not determine whether you're going to have a good team, but it is a necessary element yeah. in order to be able to have a good team. So, so what we would say there is that it's necessary, but not sufficient to have a good team. <laughs> and, and so it's yeah. one of those things for sure. Like, I think as we saw last year that, yeah, if you have a really bad offensive line, it doesn't matter how good your talent is. And, and we've seen this years for the Jayhawks where they've had offensive line issues that have really kind of stifled what they are doing elsewhere at the quarterback position, or they've had really, really good wide receiver cores. You know, I think that this year they have another really good wide receiver core. The question is going to be, is the offensive line going to hold up enough for them to actually be able to show that off? And, And that's really kind of been the big thing for this Kansas offense for the longest time is that they have not been able to develop offensive linemen well enough to really be able to do anything with any of the skill position players that they're getting. So that that's, that's the main takeaway for me, right? Is that, Offensive line has to take that step forward. Um, and if it doesn't, well, then it's going to be another long season for us anyway. So, um, you know, kind of what you were talking about, I do want to go ahead and jump. Let's, let's jump right into the offense in terms of what they have, because you you did talk about some of the losses that they had, um, you know, in terms of guys that they had a decent chance of keeping 
that ended up leaving. Most of those were on the defensive end. So, so let's mm-hmm. jump into the offense. Obviously, the big question based off what we just talked about is what's different with the offensive line here? You know, they, they, they do have a new a new line coach, if, if I remember correctly. Um, but what is it that you're seeing or what is it that you're hearing about this offensive line that makes you think it's going to be different this year than it was last year? Yeah, well, I'll save you from having to do this and I'll pronounce his name because it's dangerously close to a word that you usually don't say on the airwaves, but it's Scott Fuchs. It rhymes with books is the, the way to think about that. So Scott oh, Fuchs. see, I thought someone always said it was Fuchs. And so yeah. that, I was like, oh, well, I mean, that still is really, really close. <laughs> but no, okay, Fuchs, okay. I think that's the way people pronounce it when they want to make absolute certain they're not going to drop an F-bomb on my air. But yeah, exactly. folks, folks. <laughs> okay. um, I think there are a few things different with the offensive line. First, Kansas brought back three super senior offensive linemen, which for anyone who I guess has been living under a rock, the NCAA gave everyone that kind of extra year if you played during the COVID season or even if you sat out. So if you're a senior, you can return for one bonus year of eligibility. Kansas has three of those on the O-line. That helps. Uh, to start the offseason, Kansas landed Colin Grunhard. He was a walk-on at Notre Dame who played his way into scholarship, played his way into being the backup center, which the backup center for Notre Dame, a college football playoff program, is still a, a pretty decent uh, offensive lineman. Uh, he joins the program. Then the, they brought in two new transfers from uh, Buffalo, and I think these are the guys who are going to be most important uh, just because they're more familiar with the system, with especially the running scheme and wide zone uh, that the the former Buffalo coaches, now Kansas coaches, kind of want to implement. And that's Mike Nowitzki. He goes by Dirk, uh, like the the NBA, you know, Hall of Famer. Um, <laughs> Pro Football Focus had that guy in the top five of centers in the nation uh, last year. I think he's tremendously talented. He was in a quote-unquote position battle that lasted two seconds before he won that position in Lawrence. Uh, Michael Ford's the other guy. Now, Michael Ford's interesting because he was going to play right tackle for Buffalo. Here, you know, he could either be a right tackle or a right guard. Um, I I think the program wants him to be a tackle, but I saw him in person during that open practice Kansas had. And man, is that guy not big. Like, he's got some (laughs) weight on him. He's got some strength. I'm sure he knows the scheme well. But Kansas will probably be trotting out the smallest tackle my guess without knowing would be in the power five ranks and and probably one of the smallest Kansas has ever started Um, just in terms of, you know, height, probably total mass length, all that stuff. So um, I think it'll be a real question between him and Bryce Cable do who was a freshman last year. Um, You know, who kind of wins that position? Is it a freshman with more size who developed uh, or is it this guy who's really familiar with the scheme? To me, that's kind of uh, the, the, that'll be the question at, at, several different positions that determines the success of the line. You have a lot of guys kind of in spots they're more comfortable in. Malik Clark will be at guard. You know, he tried to play tackle last year. Didn't work. They needed him there, but it was just a complete disaster. You you have guys at positions they'll be comfortable in. You also have some guys as true freshmen who earn playing experience who are now a year older. And I think for the staff, they get to kind of pick and choose, you know, do you want a guy like Armage uh, Reed Adams? We actually learned this offseason. Apparently he had a name change. It is no longer Armage Adams Reed. It is now Reed Adams. Uh, you know, maybe he wants to fill in at guard or maybe they think he can uh, take the role of another guy who fits in there. Maybe, um, I, I guess Garrett Jones stepped away from the program. He was a name at center who earned uh, some playing time. And then Cable Do is the other one uh, who was playing as a true freshman at tackle. You know, does that guy take a big step forward? I, I think all that kind of comes together to probably help Kansas improve. Yeah, I mean, th- there are definitely a lot of options. And the one thing that you can say that, uh, you know, about last year is, yes, it, it was absolutely atrocious in terms of trying to get them all to mesh together and put together yeah. a competent offensive line. But a lot of them got good experience good things that they can build off of and it's a question of can the offensive line coach then be able to use that to help develop these guys that's really the biggest question that I have is like how much development have we seen from them in the offseason how much are they going to be ready to step into whatever the role is and and like you were talking about you know there were guys that played out of position last year because they just literally had no option um the other thing that kind of jumped out to me and I've been hearing kind of bits and pieces and you can confirm for me Davitsky is like the shoe in at center, you know, starting in center. I mean, just how good he is, you know, depending on on the publication, there was a lot of people saying that he was going to be like the number three center in all of football, like coming into this season or or end of last season. Like he is absolutely 
a guy that you want to to keep there at that center position. Colin Grunhard coming into the program, I had heard that he had been playing at the right guard position, I believe. I mean, is is he running with the ones or the twos of that position? Or, like, are they going to be able to lean on that sort of experience? Or is that enough of a a position change for him that they were kind of just trying to figure out what potentially could work, but it, it may not stick? Well, I think in a perfect world, they would want to put either Chris Hughes, who's a returning super senior there, or they would want the option to put Michael Ford there if, if he's not going to stick at tackle. But what I think has happened is both Ford and Hughes, Hughes is coming back from a, uh, an injury that held him out in the spring. He didn't play in the spring game. Um, I, I'm not sure what recovery timetable, anything like that is, but uh, I certainly haven't seen him running uh, with the ones or any groups like that, at least in the parts I've been able to see. And, and then I think Ford maybe sticking more at tackle has opened that position up to where it's now between, like you mentioned, Colin Grunhard and Adagio Lopetti, who is another one of those returning super seniors. At the open practice that we were able to see, Grunhard was running with the ones as the right guard. And I do believe, um, even though I think he's maybe technically a grad transfer, I think he actually has two years of eligibility left, um, if I'm remembering He's showing on the roster as a redshirt junior. Yes. So I I think he'll actually have a couple more years to play, um, which for KU's benefit – allows them to to kind of mess with it right and say can this guy yeah. play guard or, or is he just a center so um I, I think the plan probably was for him to play center until Lance Leipold was the hire and <laughs> right. until Mike Nowitzki was the transfer and then it became well hey let's still try and get this guy on the field so I don't know that he would beat out a totally healthy Chris Hughes but I think for now he he might start the season as the starting right guard of Kansas well and let's be honest like even if he doesn't find a starting position on the line like that's because someone else beat him out like he has shown that he's good enough and and it seems like based off of early practices that he is good enough in a you know off of his natural position um to be able to play for this team so if he is not in the starting lineup that means that somebody else stepped up and stepped over him and it's not a bad thing to have a guy like that who is right there waiting in the wings in case of an injury or in case someone just has you know an issue that they can't get over having someone that can step in and be able to do that so you know that is that is, I think, the most the most promising thing, or at least the the biggest area for optimism as a Kansas fan, is that they went from essentially playing a whole bunch of guys with absolutely no experience and no chemistry at all to, on the line to bringing in an offensive coaching staff that seems to be really good at developing line and really good at putting guys where they need to be, along with guys that now have a bunch of experience or guys that are coming in and actually showing that they can have, you know, that they have what it takes to be a competent offensive line. And that is the biggest room, I think, for optimism. Um, Okay, so obviously there's more to the offense than just the line, like like we talked about. Um, uh, The next biggest question would be at quarterback. Um, You know, there's a lot of questions floating around. Like, I've seen a lot of different reports. I, I think you actually had a report out there that it seems like Miles Kendrick is the guy right now who is kind of like the leader of the quarterback room, partly because I think of his, his experience and, and the fact that he is still a fairly talented quarterback, just hasn't really had a great situation. Um, but Jalen Daniels is another guy that I think most fans are super familiar with and expect to kind of take that step forward this year. But then they have the transfer in Jason Bean coming from North Texas. So of those three, or I, I guess, can you can you talk about the dynamics that they have with mm-hmm. that quarterback room that they have And if you had to guess now, who do you think is going to be starting for the Jayhawks at the beginning of the year? Yeah, well, I think there's nuance to it. I'm glad you phrased it that way because it's kind of how I've written about it is there's a right now, you know, if the season started today, who's the quarterback? And the answer to that question is Miles Kendrick. I I actually don't think there's much debate. If the season were starting today, you know, August, whatever, in the middle of the month, uh, it would be Miles Kendrick. He absolutely performed the best at the open practice, I would say by far. Um, you know, I was watching with another media member who felt Miles Fallon, who is not in the running, was the second most impressive uh, quarterback at that practice. If that's any indication of maybe where oh, the gap was, that was just one day, though. Right, um, right. How how I've described the competition long term is, you know, I've I've said I don't I don't think anyone is better than maybe a forty or forty five percent chance of the three to win the job. I, I actually would handicap Jalen Daniels as a slight favorite because I think given the time to develop, to understand the offense, to kind of build and grow through this fall camp. Um, as long as that competition stays open, I think he has better physical tools. I think that gives him a chance. Why I don't feel the same way about Jason Bean. And I think Jason Bean could have the chance to maybe by the end of the season become a starter or certainly going into year two. Um, it, it just seems like he's really behind right now. And that's not necessarily, you know, a, a, a 
an indictment on him. I mean, the guy got on campus in the summer. The other guys have been in the program, have been around the coaching and the players and all that stuff. But, you know, if you watch that open practice, if you were there, you saw two quarterbacks get chances with the ones and the twos. And those were Jalen Daniels and Miles Kendrick. They got a lot of reps with the ones and the twos. Jason Bean wasn't just repping with the threes. He, he wasn't getting a third of the reps. He was getting 10, 15%, it felt like, um, of the chances. And, and that's because, again, it just seems like even though he does have a lot of really good physical tools, um, you haven't heard anyone praise the other parts of his game. Is he making the right decisions? The thing that Lance Leipold says is going to be most important in that quarterback competition. Is he avoiding turnovers, which certainly was not the case. He was kind of an interception magnet uh, at that open practice. Now, he can do things none of the other quarterbacks can. I think the ceiling is much, much, much higher with him. I just don't know if, you know, by the time week one rolls around, is he able to close that gap? So I wouldn't count him out. Um, when I was doing the thing where I picked like odds for all three, I think I gave him like a 20% chance, which might be generous, but I'm just accounting for the idea that he is probably the most like raw talented guy in that room. It's just, he's got so much ground to make up in such a short amount of time. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Although uh, Lance Leipold did say the other day that they could have packages for a different quarterback than whoever the starter is. And that to me could be a Jason Bean kind of thing. They could say, Hey, you know, run something like, almost like Colin Kaepernick did when Alex Smith was the quarterback with the 49ers where he could still throw, he could do that, but they also love the physical tools and, and his ability to run and do that stuff too. Yeah. I find that interesting because, you know, prior to this summer, I would have thought just the way that everyone was talking about Jason Bean coming into the program, that he was kind of the, the more ready guy, the, you know, the guy that was ready to go. And I'm wondering if it's, a difference in evaluation in terms of what the different staffs were looking for. But every indication I got when he was transferring in from, you know, people inside the program was that they were expecting him to step in and be able to kind of take over the offense that they were doing. And I'm wondering how much of that is just different philosophies, but, yeah. um, or how much of it is just the fact that, you know, coming to a completely different situation, maybe it just wasn't as smooth of a transition as, as a lot of people were expecting. But, you know, you talk about how he probably is the more physically, gifted uh, just in terms of looking at what he's able to do and the tools that he have. I, I do think it helps that he, you know, he's three inches taller than Jalen Daniels um, yeah. and five inches taller than Miles Kendrick. So like Kansas has, has seen their fair share of, of small quarterbacks um, and, and not saying that they can't be successful, but it's definitely a lot easier to be successful if you have that extra height. I do think ultimately, and I, you know, I was of the impression that kind of Jason Bean it was his job to lose just because Jalen Daniels, what we saw from him last year was, maybe the decision-making wasn't necessarily the greatest there. And, and obviously an, an off season will help with that. Um, but just learning a brand new system, it almost seemed to me like all three of those guys were going to be on the same, the same foot in terms of trying to learn whatever this new system is for Leipold and trying to, trying to deal with that. But it doesn't sound based on what you're saying, like we're, we're kind of at that point. So I, I would be surprised, um, you know, at, at this point, or I should say, I would have been surprised if you had told me three weeks ago that Miles Kendrick has a really good shot at being the guy to start the season. Uh, I would have thought it would have been something like Jason Bean with Jalen Daniels with an, op with an opportunity to kind of take over the starting job by the end of the year. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it is interesting that they have three different potential options. Um, kind of though, let's let's jump over because we've we've talked way too much about quarterback controversies in the last few years. <laughs> I don't really want to get one started right now by talking about yeah. it too much. So. Let's jump over uh, to the rest of the skill position players. The thing that jumped out to me the most when I was trying to do my research, you know, for the, for, for some of the previews I was doing for, for some of my colleagues, um, running back is a really, really crowded running back room. Like if I'm looking at it, there, are, there seems to me to be five different guys who could potentially get decent amount of playing time this year um, at, at, at the running back position. Do you agree with that? Like, you know, I'm, I'm counting Velton Gardner, Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw, Amari Pesek Hickson and then Malik Johnson, I think were the five that I was hearing things about and were, were hearing about, you know, guys that were really kind of showing out in practice. So are, are those all guys that you think are going to get a decent amount of playing time or is there someone else that I'm entirely missing? No, I, I think that's the group. Uh, I think for Malik Johnson, who is a receiver turned running back, first of all, I don't think you change a guy's position unless you think he has a chance to play, but I think he's right. probably a little bit back of the others in that room. Now, um, I think the biggest issue, because it's probably easier to do that than tell you what they do well, because they, they have a bunch of guys who do a bunch of things well. So the biggest issue probably for a guy like Daniel Hyshaw, who's been the power back traditionally, 
is now Devin Neal comes in here and, and Devin Neal can probably be that power back, but has the added benefit of his top end speed and, and some of his other skills, maybe in the pass game too. Um, I expect Velton Gardner, who is just coming off what um, has not officially been confirmed to be a COVID-19 quarantine type of situation. Uh, but what's been indicated to me is it was more that direction than an injury route um, that he he's going to be the number one. At least that's my implication watching, you know, everything I've seen so far. I've been right. at every practice uh, that's been open to media thus far. Uh, so he would be the number one. I think Devin Neal and Amari Pesek-Hickson uh, have a great shot to compete for kind of that number two spot just because, you know, people may not know this about uh, Amari, who had some good success last year, but he's made huge physical gains. I think he's he's approaching or he might have crossed a 40-inch vertical. Uh, he's made, you know, kind of leaps and bounds uh, gains with his, you know, physical traits. So I think he's a guy who gets a chance to contribute too. Um, right now, I guess the number one and two are Velton Gardner and Devin Neal, but uh, I think that room really has four guys and, and, you know, really with Heisha, I mean, he can even be a wildcat quarterback. He lined up there a few times last year. Right. Um, now he didn't throw it. He was a quarterback in high school though. So, I mean, it's, it's always an option. Um, those are four running backs who are good enough to play in the big 12 and good enough to be probably upper tier big 12 running backs if their development hits. So yeah, I think it's a crowded room, a good room, but, um, if nothing else, it, definitely has depth uh, and I would expect Lance Leipold to want to get uh, a couple of those guys on the field at the same time uh, in a couple different looks with his offense yeah you you mentioned Daniel Hyshaw you know kind of being a wildcat quarterback I, I was actually at the Iowa State game and was watching you know I was down in the end zone where he was you know running and actually ran that ball in at that point um yeah. so yeah I mean he he definitely has the talent to be able to do that I do think though that Hyshaw is much more likely to be more of a fullback role um, mm-hmm. in in this offense as opposed to, you know, being the primary running back. So, yeah, I do agree, though, that they have a wide variety of guys that can do a bunch of different things. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see two or even potentially three of these guys on the field at a time if they were to, you know, break one out wide uh, to go run routes or something like that. So, yeah, they, they have a lot of options. It'll be interesting to see how they use them after we've, you know, kind of seen so many great running backs come through the Kansas program. Um, they have a, a big collection of them right now, though, which I think makes it kind of hard for me to really – know who it is that I should be looking at at any particular play the one the one thing I will say though one other thing from the running back room I I can't move on without acknowledging gay floor flomo I think is one of the best names I've ever seen on a roster it's absolutely awesome yeah I I think I could have this slightly wrong some of the details but he had I believe a brother who was on the team as a running back I want to say his name was like Kazili Flomo who uh, for some reason or another stopped playing and immediately became like a graduate assistant or, or some kind of role like that. And so it's actually kind of a family affair, but here's the thing about him and Rob Fiorentino is the other one who doesn't really play, but is in that running backs room is people swear by them too and, and swear they're good enough to, to get on the field too. It's, it's a very, very crowded running backs room. There's a lot of competition at that position. Yeah, for sure. All right. Final offensive position really to talk about would be the pass catchers. Um, I, I'm going to group the tight ends in, although I, I understand that they, you know, mm-hmm. potentially could be playing a, a completely different role in terms of helping out the offensive line and blocking. But, you know, Kansas has a decent number of wide receivers that are going to be fairly talented. Obviously, they lost a lot off of last year's roster. You know, they lost a ton of guys that ended up transferring and taking their their super senior season elsewhere. Um, but, you know, Kwame Lasseter and I think Luke Grimm are probably the two names that most people are going to recognize and going to really be looking out for. And, and, and I don't think we really necessarily need to talk too much about, because I think everybody knows just how good those guys are and how good they can be. If we have a quarterback that can get them the ball out in space, even Um, what, what about the rest of this wide receiver crew? I mean, like there's a couple names that jump out to me, like Tory Lachlan, um, Lawrence Arnold, guys like that. But like, is there somebody here, that, that you're expecting a lot of KU fans or other fans around the Big 12 are going to know by the end of the year um, that we aren't talking about right now? Well, I think the name that generally earns the most buzz, uh, talking to Emmett Jones and other receivers, is Stephen McBride. And, you know, we haven't really seen it a lot from him, but, you know, guys talk about his, his I guess, his length, his, his speed, his ability to get open um, as a compliment to kind of Kwame Lasseter. You know, for Luke Grimm, I actually think it'll be a bit of a fight for him to earn first team reps because um, he wasn't in that position in the open practice. It was actually Kevin Terry, uh, the, I believe, walk-on transfer from Texas Tech 
uh, who uh, earned that spot. He was an early enrollee technically around campus for the spring semester. So he's had some time to get some familiarity. You mentioned LJ Arnold. He's another one. And Trevor Wilson, uh, who's the transfer from Buffalo with Lance Leipold. Those are really the core group of names, at least that I wrote about a couple days ago. Um, that I would see being in the hunt at wide receiver. There are really about six guys um, at this point. And then, you know, just since we're grouping them together, tight ends too, I, I think Mason Fairchild has close to a stranglehold on that number one spot. But I think the program has been very pleased, and, and I would highlight very as an extremely, extremely uh, pleased with the development of Trevor Cardell. Um, I, I don't even think they knew how much he was going to develop this offseason. Right. I think they're thrilled with him as the number two tight end. And then Will Huggins uh, is a guy who had major, major interest in high school before an injury kind of slowed down his senior year. You know, maybe that hurt his blocking. Maybe that hurt his pass catching a little bit. Will Huggins is six seven. He moves like a wide receiver and he's your third tight end. And, and they like Mason Brotherton, the freshman too. So just like that running, running backs room is stacked. I think they love the tight ends they have in the roster. The big question to me is the receivers. Um, you know, do they have, they have a lot of young ones. They have a lot of guys that you think are going to be good, um, but maybe haven't proven it or taken that next step. Can Luke Grimm be a legitimate big 12 number two wide receiver? Same with Steven McBride, same with Trevor Wilson. Uh, can these guys make that next jump from being a pretty good player in a few games to actually being an every game kind of guy like that? I think that'll be uh, interesting to see this year. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is, I mean, you talk about last year with how bad the offensive line was. A lot of those guys didn't really have an opportunity to do much. Like there, there was probably only about five good throws to wide receivers each game. And, and most of those went to the top end guys that are along with the program. So like, it, I think it's completely understandable that, you know, Luke Grimm came on big with some big catches at the end of last year, which I think is why he's well known to, you know, any, anybody who's actually been following the program. And of course, sure. Kwame Lasseter, mm -hmm you know, was, was a kind of a one B guy last year where he had a lot of huge plays, especially from, from, you know, in terms of wide receivers. And so he, he is definitely a name that everybody recognizes that has been paying any attention to the program, but you're right. Like the, the rest of these guys are really hasn't been enough touches to go around for any of them to really establish themselves. So that really is the question. Like who is the guy that is going to be able to, to step up or, ideally a couple guys that are going to be able to step up because mm -hmm. you know it, it's going to be I think really easy to focus on Lasseter if you're an opposing defense because he is really the only for sure established threat downfield for the Jayhawks at this point you've got to be able to get it to a bunch of other guys to take some of the pressure off of Lasseter to allow him to shine but also then to allow some of these other guys to develop and build that confidence that they need to be able to then you know down the stretch really be able to contribute mm -hmm. so all right. Well, any other final thoughts about the offense? Anything from like the coaching staff that you're seeing that that really is kind of giving you a sense of optimism for how this offense is gonna is gonna perform this year? Yeah, two quick things, or I'll combine them into one. But the the thing Lance Leipold has said over and over, and everyone has said this: Jim Zabrowski, the quarterbacks coach; Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator. The guys who play are going to be the guys who know the plays and the guys who don't make mistakes. And so there will be times where there is someone who's a little bit more athletic or a little bit better at different positions who you think, why isn't this guy playing? And I guarantee we're going to ask, you know, as media, every time that is the case, we'll ask the coaches, hey, why isn't this guy in there? You know, whatever. It's going to be the answer every single time because the, you know, coaching staffs that have that kind of mentality and thing established, they don't change that answer. That's always what it is. I trust this guy to get the play right. We don't trust this guy as much yet. And so, again, when you talk about quarterbacks, Miles Kendrick, you talk about an offensive line, whatever, um, that's going to be the answer that comes up time and time again. So I would just get ready for a lot of that. Um, you know, when you get into week four, five, six, seven, and you're wondering, you know, hey, why isn't LJ Arnold getting a chance at wide receiver? That's just an example. I'm not saying he's having any issues, but he's so athletic. Why isn't he getting that chance? Or Trevor Wilson. People are really excited about how fast Trevor Wilson is. I've watched practice. I've seen him drop a few punts. I've seen him drop a few catches. I've seen fumbles be a little bit of an issue. So, you know, sometimes it's not just the the ceiling of the guy that the coaches really want to see that floor too. Well, you know, I mean, the big thing that they're, they've been stressing as a coaching staff is consistency. That's not just, you know, consistency of, of coaching staff being the same from year to year or the way that they do things. It's also consistency and answers to press conferences. So, um, <laughs> all right. I do want to go ahead and turn over to the defense, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on, on the rock talk podcast. Are you a big 12 basketball obsessed fan and have nowhere to go for just all of your big 12 basketball information? Look no further because Midwest madness is here just for you. We talk men's and women's basketball all year long. 
with exclusive interviews, guests that come on to talk about each team, game recaps once the season begins, and so much more content you won't know what to deal with. So for all of your Big 12 basketball needs, Midwest Madness is your place to go. Listen on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we're back. All right, I'm here with Scott Chasen of Fog.net. We're talking about and, and previewing the Kansas Jayhawks football team for this year. We've already talked about offense. We've kind of already talked about last year. Let's jump over to the defense because obviously, you know, in terms of top-end guys that we were expecting to come back this year um, that are no longer with the team because they've transferred elsewhere, there's three huge ones on the defense. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about them, but just how big of a loss was it to be losing those guys in – um, you know, Cron Prunty, Marcus Harris, and DeJon Terry. Uh, I think it's huge. Uh, I think it's, you're talking like wins, potential for wins. Uh, I mean, if this was a team this year that, you know, found a way to win two games, whatever, um, and, and then you added those guys back on top of it, all the guys that transferred, I, I think you'd be talking about going into next year as a potentially bowl eligible team. Um, I think it's that big of a difference. You're talking about a true freshman All-American corner, a defensive lineman who just transferred to Auburn, and another defensive lineman who just transferred to Tennessee. Those are, you know, SEC yeah. programs. Um, so it's it's really hard. And and that doesn't even mention that, you know, Kansas loses Elijah Jones to Oregon State. That's another Power 5 program. Kyle Mayberry goes to Utah State, not Power 5, but, um, you know, just a guy going to another program. So I, those are five guys. They wouldn't all be starters, probably four starters that you lost to other power five programs. And I, I think that's pretty killer. It, it's not devastating by any means, um, but it makes you reset it a little bit because Karan Prunty by himself, who knows, he might be worth a win in one game. You know, we saw Hassan defense have a pick six in the first game of the Les miles era yeah. in a game, Kansas won by seven points. So you never know when a guy like that is worth a win um, just by himself or, or worth the chance to stay in a few games by himself. But yeah, it's, it's tough for Kansas. They have some big shoes to fill on defense. Well, and not to mention from all the hype that I've been hearing about Jacoby Bryant, you know, if you have Karan Prunty on one side and Jacoby Bryant on the other, like that is, from everything that I've heard, that would be yeah. a complete lockdown secondary when you add in, um, I mean, you know, you add in the the safeties that they have as well. So, like, you know, they, there was a lot of opportunity, I think, for them to be able to have a completely shut down secondary there. And, you know, let's let's jump right into the secondary there, because I do think that that's probably the deepest position that they have on the defense. But there's a lot of guys that potentially are going to have to show some stuff like you know, they don't have that top end name guys that you would necessarily recognize, but um, who, who so far has impressed you, whether it's cornerbacks or safeties, um, you know, that you think are going to be really, really big for the team. Obviously Kenny Logan jr. Is, you know, the big yeah. one that everyone yeah. is already talking about. So while you can talk about him a little bit, like who else are you expecting to really kind of show up for this Kansas defense? Well, let me start with the safeties um, because it'll be Kenny Logan and Ricky Thomas that they're not going anywhere. Those are their positions, but there are two incoming freshmen, OJ Burroughs. He's a smaller guy from IMG Academy. How he's been described to me is he's like one of the most skilled guys Kansas has ever had in terms of ball skills. He's just really, really tiny. And that's why a guy like that ends up going to a program like a Kansas. If this dude were six, seven, eight inches taller, he would be going to an SEC program named Alabama or LSU. I mean, this is a guy who set the IMG Academy record with four interceptions in a game. And if you were at Crazy. that open practice, he had three picks and dropped another one. So, I, oh I mean, he's gosh. just always around the ball. And this is a true freshman. So, um, he's a, a guy I think will get on the field. But again, he's smaller is kind of the issue, right? And so, you run a 6'2 receiver and, and throw a jump ball. He's not going to get that ball. The receiver is going to get the ball. So um, Jason Gilliam's another name. I think, you know, if they needed him to, he could even play down into the box a little bit as a safety. He's a hard hitter, good at tracking the ball. I think he's a name they were excited when they landed uh, the previous staff because he was such a versatile guy. And I think he's only impressed since then. So I think he finds a way to get on the field. Then at cornerback, Jacoby Bryant's the big one. Every time we see this guy, it's like he gets a pick. He gets a pick six. I think he had a pick six in the spring game. Pretty sure he had what would have been a pick six in, you know, one of the practice reps, one of the one-on-ones with the wide receiver. So he he always impresses. I've heard good things about Romello Dotson, another young player. It seems like athletically uh, he's really taken a huge step and, and maybe ready to contribute on the field. Deuce Mayberry just spoke to media. I think they like what they have in him. And then Jeremy Webb, who's this 6'4 Missouri State transfer corner um, he's another one who had really, really good stats last year, previous power five experience injuries um, kind of set his career back. He was seen as like a potential NFL guy. I want to say at Virginia tech. Um, 
I might have that college wrong, but uh, just because there's so many transfers this year, but right, right. He, he was seen as a legit NFL potential kind of guy, had an injury, set him back, ended up transferring, but he wasn't a graduate transfer. So all these schools were interested and he would be like, just by the way, I, I will, you know, I might have to sit out whatever. And they suddenly weren't so interested. So he ends up going down to Missouri state. Um, he plays there 10 pass breakups has a great season. Now he's back for the power five level. Uh, I think that's a guy too, that will have a chance to get on the field. So um, there is some depth there, but I think it's probably inexperienced depth, uh, which makes it a little bit more nerve wracking probably for the Jayhawks. Oh yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> I, I agree. If they had Elijah Jones and Karan Prunty and Jacoby Bryant, and you got to pick between those guys as your three corners, you might say this is the best group of cornerbacks in the big 12. Um, they don't have that. They have one third of that and they have a lot of questions there, but I do think they have, I think they have a lot of young talent in the secondary. We'll see how it looks this year, but I, I think the secondary is actually pretty well set up that the next few years, it should be pretty fantastic for Kansas. Yeah. I mean, and, and what we've learned in the big 12 anyway, is that, you know, it's impossible. Like you have to have a deep core at wide receiver. I'm sorry. <laughs> at cornerback, and at safety, because you can't, the way that they spread it out and run deep routes all over the place in the, in the Big 12, and it's not just the Big 12 anymore, but, um, you know, you have to have the ability to rotate guys in or else you're just going to be gassed by the end of the game. And so, like, yeah, J- Jacoby Bryant and Jeremy Webb are going to be, like, the, the two main guys to start, but then you're going to have to have at least two or three of these guys step up and play a significant number of snaps at the cornerback position throughout the entire game for Kansas to remain competitive. I mean, in, in any of these games. So the fact that they have so much experience or I'm sorry, so much depth there, even if it's inexperienced is going to be really crucial for them to get those guys that experience and get them developing because they're going to need it by the end of the season, especially if, if they want to remain competitive in games. So, all right, uh, let's jump now to the defensive line because I, you know, that's where they probably lost the most talent. Um, you know, they had multiple guys that, that transferred out, but it seemed to me that they had a bunch of guys that were kind of there waiting that they were expecting to potentially step up this year anyway. Um, you know, and I mean, they still have guys like Kyron Johnson, um, you know, Stephen Parker, some, some names that you'll remember, Jelani Arnold, like some names you'll remember from the last few seasons. So what do they have there? Who are the new guys that they're expecting to really step up there for them? Well, I think the two new guys are, are interior linemen. They're Eddie Wilson and Ron McGee. Uh, Eddie Wilson, I believe, was third team all Mac. He's the bigger name coming over from Buffalo. But from what we've heard, Ron McGee has actually transformed his body uh, this offseason. A recurring theme you hear just with this strength staff, which apparently, you know, has uh, a lot of guys have vouched for uh, just the gains that they've made individually. Another defensive lineman, Malcolm Lee, actually, um, you know, just got done a couple days ago speaking about the strength staff this summer and how he feels like his game is at a different level. Um, I think Kansas has some depth. I mentioned those two newcomers. You still have Sam Burt, Caleb Sampson, uh, who can compete on the inside. And then on the outside, the the DN spots, you really have three names that stand out to me, which are Kyron Johnson, you know, linebacker, now turned defensive lineman. I think he fits well at that 4-3 end spot. Uh, I think they'll like his speed, his athleticism. I think he'll really bother opponents. You have Steven Parker. He's shown flashes, hasn't always been a consistent all the time kind of guy, but at times has made some really big plays. And then I think Malcolm Lee physically, I mean, he looks like a monster. Uh, when he spoke to media, he walked up to the podium. It was like, who is this <laughs> dude? And when, when did he come to Kansas? Um, looks just completely different, uh, has, has completely re, you know remade and, and transformed his body. So I think it's a good group. Um, it's not the same as if you had Deshaun Terry in the middle uh, with his just massive, massive size. It's not the same uh, as if you had Marcus Harris on the edge. Uh, but I actually think the defensive line could be a strength. Um, a lot of years we see the Kansas secondary get gashed because the the pass rush, the guys up front aren't good enough um, to kind of, you know, put pressure on the quarterback and the quarterback gets too much time and eventually things break down. Um, this year, I think it may be uh, that that secondary gets a little bit more help from the defensive front. I, I think there is some legitimate talent there, not the most deep in the world, uh, probably I would say maybe six or seven deep on those four spots. So not super deep, but you know, a, a little bit of legitimate depth to get you through some games. That, that, that's good. I am surprised. I didn't hear you talk too much about Zion DeVos, the, the transfer. Yeah. Um, Zy- I would Zy- say, DeVos. has he just not really done so much or too much so far in practice or are there other concerns there? I don't think there's necessarily other concerns. I think for him, it's just picking it up. And quite frankly, I haven't seen him involved in things. I think he's healthy. I don't think that's the issue. 
Um, but he's just not one of the guys that, that I've seen at least lining up in those spots yet with the ones and twos where you would say, yeah, this guy has a great chance to get on the field. Now, I, th- I think he has some some talent. I-, I think they brought him to Kansas with the idea that he could definitely get on the field. Um, he was, you know, if, if you want to go back a few years, it feels like Kansas and Virginia Tech has been trading players back and forth over and over with yeah. Herbert, Evan Ferris, Ryan Willis, all going sent out there, Jeremy Webb and, and Zion DeBose coming in. But yeah, I think it's just a little bit of a harder path for him at that DM spot particularly because there are three guys there um between kyron johnson uh stephen parker and on the other side who am i forgetting malcolm lee who are basically solidified in those spots and kind of like they're pretty stuck there those are the three guys that are going to get the most reps and so i think you're anyone who's fighting for those spots you're fighting for number four right now and i think that that brings you back in the hunt yeah, yeah, that that definitely, you know, it's it's a good thing to have in a guy that a lot of people were expecting when the news came that he was transferring, that, you know, he was going to be a guy that was going to feature heavily there. Like, it's good news that other people have stepped up to make it so that they're not necessarily immediately, you know, thought of as the guy that's going to be starting. So sure. not, not saying that DeBose can't get there, but I think everyone expects DeBose to be able to contribute positively to this team um, and, and significantly to this team. So... If he doesn't get an opportunity to do that because other people are better than him or, you know, get the system better than him, usually you have to think that that's probably a good thing. So, yeah. All right. You actually talked a little bit about the secondary getting help, more help from the defensive line. I I am kind of curious because what I saw last year and, and not necessarily, you know, the fault of the linebackers, but was a linebacking core that was horribly outmatched due to injuries and, you know, just general other issues that they were dealing with that caused the secondary to have to cheat up for them. So how have they reinforced the linebacker position and what are you expecting to be different for the Jayhawks at that linebacker position this year? Well, there will be, there will be a fewer of them. Uh, That's the start. There will only be three on the, on the field instead of four. And I say that kind of jokingly, but kind of seriously, like you, you kind of, um, you, you take maybe your thinnest and weakest position and now it's, less of a focus. I mean, it's still important. You they'll have to find a middle linebacker who they legitimately feel like is good enough. You know, I don't know if that's going to end up being a guy like Rich Miller. Taiwan Berryhill has moved from outside linebacker to inside linebacker. Nate Betts has been a guy who's played both. Um, you know, they've wanted to see both outside linebacker, inside linebacker. So they have a bunch of names. Uh, Nick Channel is another guy who's played some inside. So they'll have to figure it out. They, they've got a bunch of guys in that room competing. Uh, Rich Miller's the one that interests me. I think we'll get to talk to him at media day. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, just as an incoming transfer, another guy who knows the system and who Chris Simpson, the, the new linebackers coach has said that, you know, he was good enough to play. They just had better guys in front of them at Buffalo, but um, I guess that's my great, uh, not so great answer of saying, I'm not sure it is going to be that much better. I, I just think the roles might be a little bit different. They might find ways to make things easier for them, keep them in the box more, um, and maybe take some of those guys off the field. Maybe it's, you know, instead of a, a three, four or a three, three, five, now all of a sudden you're talking about a four, two, five, where it, it's really much more defined what you want, you know, your linemen to do to contain things a certain way, your secondary to do, and, and you can kind of let your linebackers roam around and turn them loose. So um, one thing that I found interesting is Kansas is still using the Hawk position. Um, Nate Betts actually said he's played that a little bit which was a DJ Elliott kind of hybrid defensive back uh, linebacker position, basically like a nickel, um, but a little bit bigger, a little bit more linebacker responsibility. Sounds like some of those principles are actually going to be retained a little bit. I don't know if the terminology is the same or if that's just what he chose to call it, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I I think the linebackers are a big question mark. Um, You know, the linebackers and the corners question marks for different reasons. One, you feel pretty good about the players in time. You just don't know about their experience. That's the corners at the linebackers. I think you're trying to figure out, are there guys who can play big 12 ball? Uh, I think that's the question you're still kind of trying to figure out there. Yeah. I mean, and, and the way that you're describing it makes complete sense to me. Like that's the biggest area of, you know, concern. And so anything you can do to mitigate how important that, that group is on the field by not having nearly as many of them out there, you know, or, (laughs) or kind of reprioritizing what it is that they're doing that will lean into the strength of the players that you actually have. Like, you know, you, you have to get creative because it's not like you can just go out and, and while they do have additional linebackers that could potentially help shore it up, you can't just go out and swap out all the guys that you do have for new linebackers. So, you know, they, they, they definitely have to find ways to, to really kind of utilize these guys and make sure that they can still contribute because you can't just write off all the linebackers you have on, on the field. So um, I will be interested to see how they do that. You know, I, I would 
be absolutely thrilled to see like a four two five um and kind of what kind of weird concepts they could come up with based off of that but the the one name that you didn't mention that I think most Kansas fans mainly because of the way that he committed to to KU uh, will will remember and kind of be wondering about is is Gavin Potter you know he he was on the field a whole lot last year I think not necessarily and and also the year before um you know it's not necessarily well, a good thing the way that he was actually able to play because he was thrown out there for guys that were injured and thrown out there I think maybe potentially before he was ready have you seen much development from him or has he really not played much of a factor during practices that one's actually an oversight by me. No, he has been oh, playing. Oh, perfect. Um, and, and he's been in the two deep. So I'm good on you for bringing him up. Uh, as I was trying to remember all the names on the list, Cornell Wheeler is the other one, the, the transfer from Michigan. I don't know how much he's going to play, um, but I do think eventually he'll have the chance. But um, I, I think Gavin Potter is probably primed to make a pretty decent jump. Uh, I would expect he gets a chance to play an outside linebacker position this year. Um, I think they've slowly been working with him on improving certain things, whether it's um, how he deals with the pass game, you know, understanding maybe some of his responsibilities against the run, because I think there have been in the past, a lot of times you could point to a play that was a big game against the KU defense and say what went wrong. And, you know, it's Gavin Potter and maybe another linebacker that just aren't in the right spots. So uh, I expect him actually to take a leap forward. I bet he does get on the field a good bit at one of the outside linebacker positions. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see where his development is, where he plays, uh, just because they do have a they have a pretty decent group of guys that will at least get a chance. You know, we don't know if they'll be able to handle their new responsibilities. We don't know what they'll look like in open, you know, an open field when a receiver or whatever is running at them from a big 12 team. But um, I, I think they have some guys that that at least they like the physical tools enough to try it out. Gavin Potter is definitely one of those guys. He will have the chance to get on the field. Yeah. Okay. That, that kind of jived with what I was thinking based off of what I had seen, but you know, to be honest, a lot can change in even just a couple weeks of camp. So I, I just wanted to make sure, but yeah, he is definitely a guy last year where like I noticed him not necessarily for the right reasons, but yeah. what I did notice was kind of what you were talking about. It wasn't necessarily that he didn't have the talent or that he was, you know, getting run over or anything like that. It was that a lot of times he was out of position and it wasn't just him. So it's not like you can say that he just didn't know what he was doing. There was some sort of miscommunication. There was some something going on that made it so that those linebackers were having issues. And I think a lot of that was just, you know, thinking about how young that linebacking core was, especially when like guys like Drew Prox got injured and ended up opting out eventually. Like you had a lot of young guys that weren't necessarily ready to be thrown into the fire that had to jump in there because they literally just didn't have anybody like the Oklahoma state game. I think at one point they were down to like their seven string linebacker <laughs> because they had so many injuries during that game. So, yeah, well, um, and, and you know, one of it's funny. I think the biggest mistake I, I've covered football half a dozen years now, not, not a ton of time, but college football, at least the biggest mistake I hear get talked about on defense linebackers or any other position is guys not trusting the people next to them. And that yeah. guy is going to make a mistake. So now I'm going to break from my position responsibilities. And I thought it was really interesting to hear Brian Borland talk about this. He's the new defensive coordinator for anyone who wouldn't know. Um, he said, if we're in the wrong play, but everyone is in the wrong play and they're all doing their responsibilities, they're all playing hard and, and handling their responsibilities. It actually has a pretty good chance to work. Even if it's not technically the right call, at least everyone is moving together. Everyone is accomplishing the same thing. I think where you get into danger is a guy like Gavin Potter. Maybe he has a responsibility, but then he sees something. He doesn't totally like it or trust it. He says, well, let me, let me go try and help over here. That's where you get into trouble. It sounds unselfish, right? In basketball, we talk about that help defense, help the helper, all those right. things that that is so not what you want to do in football, because what you end up doing is, well, that guy was already open and now my guy is also open. And now the offense has two different open options as compared to maybe one that was kind of open that maybe they wouldn't even notice in the first place. Right. Um, and it just becomes that much worse. So I think that's for the whole defense, not just Gavin Potter. Um, I think that's why Kansas loves having veteran safeties. That's the position I think that's most important at is not having safeties panic um, and, and try and bail out a cornerback who doesn't need it and then give up something deep down the field. But yeah, I mean, for, for the linebackers, for whoever plays those new roles, they'll have to make sure they're on the same page with the team. Again, I love that concept from Brian Borland. So I'll just repeat it one more time that even if the play is wrong, the play is not set up to, to stop the offense. As long as you're all doing the right thing on the same page, you got a decent chance to make something happen. Um, that's the big thing that I think Kansas really wants. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's that, that's definitely much better than the alternative of, you know, a bunch of guys doing Because I think football is the sport where you see it the most, is that there's so much room on the field and there's so many things going on that you really do have to have a coherent concept of how this, you know, this particular play is going to happen. And there's so much optionality built into even defenses nowadays that, like, there's a lot of reading that has to happen in the middle of the play. But where you run into problems is where, you know, the reading isn't happening in the same thing, or you're, you're looking at, two, at the same thing and thinking, gonna, you know, two completely different things are going to happen. At which yeah. point, like, the way that a defense is set up is that you, you read the play a certain way and everybody has a certain thing that they're supposed to do that will in, usually, you know, will do something to make it a lot more difficult. If you have people reading and doing completely different things, then you're opening up big holes elsewhere um, and causing all kinds of problems. So yeah, like, like, like you said, it's the most important thing is making sure that the defense is working cohesively together, even if ultimately it's going to cause a problem because you're not actually, you know, preventing or defending against a particular thing that they're trying to do. So yeah, I, I, I am definitely very excited to kind of see what this defense and this coaching staff can do. Um, because I think that was the biggest problem the defense had last year. It wasn't necessarily talent. It was, scheme and making sure that the guys that were out there were all acting together to be able to stop the play. So, all right. Um, let me see. I do want to let's, let's go ahead and jump over just kind of briefly to the schedule here. Um, we actually went a lot longer on that and much more in depth, which I was very happy about to go into in, in depth on the roster. And to be completely honest, I don't know how much there actually is to talk about because so much is going to depend on just how well, you know, this roster and how well the players are able to fully integrate what it is that, you know, Lance Leipold and his coaching staff want to do in terms of what we're going to see on the field. But I do want to kind of talk about specific games that you think either that Kansas should expect to win or expect to be super competitive in and, and could potentially steal them. I do think, you know, that that, that South Dakota game, first of all, I, I want to start there because I've heard from a lot of people that just the way that this Kansas program is, you can't take any of these games for granted. But am, am I crazy for thinking that if Kansas does not win this South Dakota game, that there's some serious problems? I don't know serious problems, but I think problems. I, I think you gotta you gotta find a way to win that game because you've still been recruiting at a Power Five level. Uh, you've still been building a roster with strength staff, with analyst resources, with money, with all these things that you don't have at these lower levels. So I, I think there are fair alarm bells set off anytime you do lose a game like that I, I will just say of the first four games it goes to non-con with the coastal carolina game then you play baylor and then you jump back to non-con I actually think that bodes well for kansas because i think this right. will be a team that learns a lot during the season and so i think the chance to put off that game against duke which for all intents and purposes duke is not expected to be a very good team in football this year not saying that's a game kansas should win but if everything is hitting right and, and the program is growing I think they'll be ecstatic that they get an extra week, basically, of the team coming together to get to play that game. May not matter, you know, may mean nothing in the end. Uh, oftentimes, that's what happens. You get blown out in games that um, you think, well, maybe if this X, Y, and Z go right, and then none of them do. But, um, you know, I, I think those first four games, you have three of them that I think the team will be up for, will have a chance to be competitive in. And then, you know, when you look down the schedule, I think TCU has a shot to be actually really good I, I think Texas will always have a, a talent advantage it's more about does Texas play like it should or does Texas play like it's playing Kansas um, I, I think there's a chance some of those late season contests aren't the most pretty but early on there should be some decently competitive football and if the team is learning throughout the year and if it's growing like I think a lot of us think it will then who knows maybe they are uh, surprisingly more competitive than they probably should be I, I don't think that would be unreasonable yeah it's it's also one of those things like without really kind of pushing too hard or being super optimistic about this team. I, I could see a path that they could potentially get all the way to, you know, say four and two to start the season because Baylor has a bunch of issues that they're dealing with. And while Baylor probably should win that game, it is in Lawrence, you know, they are dealing with their own issues with, you know, trying to really fully incorporate what Dave Aranda is doing. Um, you know, it's going to be a big question of just how well Kansas and, and Leipold are able to get everything pulled together. But that's a game that Kansas, at least talent-wise and, you know, in, in terms of coaching-wise, like, I think that they actually have a shot in that game. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, going to pick them to win it or expect them to win it, but that's at least one that I could I could reasonably see them getting. The yeah. game against Duke, like you were talking about, Duke is not going to be good this year at all. I've talked to some people that follow that, that are, you know, 
kind of close to that program that know what they're dealing with. And apparently that, that program is, is having a lot of issues and there's a lot of worries that this might be the year that everything falls out the bottom for Duke. So, you know, that's a possibility, even though it is on the road, that's one that you feel like Kansas could potentially get Um, again, not one that you expect them to win, but I think it's fairly close to a coin flip game from everything that I've heard. So like, that's one that you could see them winning. And then that game against Texas tech, you know, the, the, it's a homecoming game. Texas Tech has had their own issues. Like, this is a big year for Matt Wells and his program, but they have struggled at times, not just with the guys that they actually have on the field, but also the way that the coaching staff has been able to kind of get through to those guys. So they need to take a big step forward this year. But until they actually do it, that's one that you could potentially see. So, like, yeah, it's, it's you know, best absolute best-case scenario, but, like, four and two to start the season before everything goes downhill when you face the, you know, the real meat of the schedule – is a possibility is at least something that Kansas fans could, could, you know, pipe dream about, but it's not necessarily as pie in the sky, unrealistic as you would normally think going into a year like this. Yeah. I'll I'll just say this. Um, My personal expectation for this team is, is one or two wins and probably zero is the third most likely outcome just because I I don't think we've seen what it's like when you don't have, like when a new coaching staff comes in in the summer and then is putting everything in in full. Fair. Yes. Um, I, I think, me personally, I have legitimately no idea is that I think it's a huge deal, but how huge a deal is it? I guess we're going to find out, right? Um, you know, if it gets to week three and they still don't, you know, know the plays or have everyone on the same. Oh, page. gosh. Yeah, that would be so, bad. <laughs> so that that's why I would like I, I, I'd probably say this looks like a one win team to me. Maybe they'll have a chance to get a second win. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think that'll be an indictment on Lance Leipold if that's the case definitely not. to be honest if, if they started four and two I would say build the statue for Leipold right right and, yeah, yeah no and 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 it's one of those yeah. things too like the way that I view it is I see four very winnable games in those first six games which makes me think that they're going to win that South Dakota game because if they don't then you know you don't okay. expect them to do anything the rest of the year and then I think that they have a, a better than not shot of getting either the game against Baylor or the game at Duke or the game against Texas Tech. Not saying they're going to win all three of those, yeah. but I think they have a very good shot of getting at least one of those. What about Coastal? I, I actually think they have a decent enough chance against Coastal just because uh, look at the games the last two years. Coastal's obviously proven to be better than Kansas. Even the game, the game last year, that was a 12-point game and Kansas recovered an onside kick. And then you remember how that game started with right. tipped ball interception, I believe back-to-back fumbles, it was 28 to three. And then Kansas kind of remembered like, yeah, our players are better than their players were, or maybe not better, but bigger, faster, stronger, right. all, all the above. And then all like, of a sudden oh, it wait, became a game. We, we are the big 12 team. Although yeah. with, with how many teams actually lost? Well, you know, and, and actually I was talking with some other people, like this was something that happened across all of college football last year. Because if, if you remember, all those Sunbelt teams had spring practices most of them had played a game prior to playing against the big 12 team that they played against. So like yeah. it was one of those things where, you know, and that was a huge differentiator for a lot of those early season upsets was it was a, it was a team that had a bunch of practices in the spring to, to introduce things or, you know, they had played a game previously. So they had a lot more kind of game experience in that yeah. particular season. So like, you're not going to have those sorts of things again this year. So Kansas yeah. is going to be on a much more even footing with Coastal. I still think that Coastal Carolina, I mean, they are ranked. They're, they're really, really going to be, I think, a fantastic team this year. The question is, how long is it going to take them to kind of incorporate all their new things yeah. and become a really, really good team? It, they, they definitely can't afford to lose that game if they want to be taken seriously the rest of the year. But, yeah. you know, I do agree with you. If something crazy is going to happen, it wouldn't be the most craziest thing if Kansas went in and actually got one of those games back. If I had to power rank the most likely wins on the schedule, one is South Dakota. No one's, no one's arguing that. I would probably have two and three Coastal Carolina and Duke in that order. And then after that, I would say if you're competitive, that's great. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything more from the other ones on the schedule. But um, I, I just think there is there is something to be said for recruiting to a power five versus not. And I think that is one advantage that Kansas has had over Coastal. Um, you know, the reason they lost that game two years ago, 12-7, um, aside from not letting Brent Dearman be the offensive coordinator at the time, if you remember right, that game, right. um, uh, they scored oh 48 gosh. points the next week, um, you may recall, uh, was Definitely uh, they had some bad turnovers, bad fourth down look, bad third down luck, uh, one play where the, the receiver on a fourth down conversion just gets tackled and the referees are just don't call it, which again, you can't count on calls, but I mean, those are the kind of things that 
in a 12-7 game tend to turn that game. Um, Kansas played about as horrible as you could possibly play on offense, and yet it's 12-7. And then again, the the disaster that was the start to last year's game, 28-3, to they're down. And then Kansas controlled slash dominated the rest of the game, and it ended, you know, at I can't remember. It might've been a 15 point margin or something like that. And it was just like, yeah, if you don't, you know, interception, interception, fumble, if you don't start the game like that, then yeah, it's, it's just a right. Game. Right. And remember so, last yeah. year they had that horrible offside call on the onside kick that Kansas recovered that they yep. were going to be able to go down and actually tie the game, assuming that they were able to, you know, finish the drive. And then I think it was 12 point. or 11. I think it was 12 or 11 points. when that Oh, was it? oh, oh no, recovered. that's right. Okay. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But, but still Kansas had like, just, scored they had like... all the momentum and <laughs> yeah. they still had like 10 minutes at that point. So like yeah. you, you were yeah. fully expecting them to go down and score again and yeah. then have an opportunity to get the ball back at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's all I'm saying is like, I, I would look at the three non-con games. If I'm a, if I'm a diehard KU fan and I want to make a road trip, seeing about getting out getting out to the east coast seeing about getting to coastal carolina just seeing you know i I wouldn't expect them to win again i'm i'm probably saying one win team but uh i actually think they have a decent enough chance uh to be competitive in either of those games all right so final schedule question for you um which of these games that they have absolutely no business winning do you think that kansas is going to be so competitive in that they might actually pull it off and why is it texas (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, gosh, the, the Texas Memorial question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know what's funny? K-State actually to me, because Kansas State and Kansas are both going to play such a similar way, I think, um, in terms of clock control. Now, maybe it's a little bit different with Skylar Thompson coming back because he can actually air it out and they can gash you quickly with him. But if Kansas State wants to establish a running attack like it has you know, under Chris Kleiman and Kansas also wants to control the clock and bleed it, um, that could be a quote-unquote blowout loss that's like 21 to 10 or or that you look at the final score and you say like oh that game actually was kind of close because these teams are going on these lengthy drives um to me it, it just comes down to kansas and wide zone if kansas gets wide zone figured out and the offensive line is as good at, at running it as i think they think it can kansas will legitimately be competitive against teams that will be wondering like why in the heck is this team so hard to to play it'll be not quite like when teams play army and they're shocked at how close the game is but it's that kind of principle Uh, i think the question is how quickly can kansas get it because they have the running backs to do it they have a few offensive linemen that should be good enough can those guys stay healthy can the other guys step up but if they get that concept would not shock me if games like kansas state um, maybe even West Virginia late in the year. That's a home game to close out the season. Wouldn't totally shock me if those actually ended up being a lot more competitive where even on the loss, um, you know, you get another team's coach saying, you know what, like you see that program making big, big strides. So those, those, I guess would be a couple for late in the year to keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. Well, Scott, we were able to go over an hour and we didn't even have to talk about realignment or basketball or anything like that. So I'm counting this <laughs> as a huge victory. We'll have to have you back on to talk about all those fun things when you right. know, there's actually more stuff to talk about with those. But great. Um, Scott, thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. Where can everybody find all the great work that you do online? Yeah, well, um, obviously, if you're interested in reading more about KU, you can go to Big10Athletics.com. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, You can go to Fog.net, Kansas.247Sports.com. I'm on Twitter, at Jason Scott. You don't have to follow me there, but I do tweet out all my stories. Uh, If you're interested in reading about KU, again, Fog.net. If you don't know how to spell that, you're probably not a Kansas fan. Yeah, yeah, that is very, very true. And and I will say it is absolutely worth getting the VIP there to get all the stories. Go so in-depth with everything, honestly. You know, I, I feel like I'm a I'm much able much better able to talk about this team because I'm actually able to get that inside look that you're able to get. So I highly I recommend it for that. anybody who does not have it already to go out and subscribe, to you know, get in there and, and get all the information that you need about this program in written form from Scott over there. So Thanks. all right, Scott, that is gonna do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. You can search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, we'd absolutely love it. If not, for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. Really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Now that we're on the Anchor Network or on the Anchor platform, you can leave us a voicemail. We have a, a, a mailbag coming up. I would love to get your guys' questions. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. We'll get your voice onto the show. Um, but that is going to do it for us tonight. 
make sure you check out everything that we're doing, everything that Scott's doing. You can ca catch all of the podcasts that are on the new 1012 network that covers all the teams in the Big 12. Just go to at 1012 network. That's T-E-N-1-2, the word network on Twitter, and you can catch all the shows there. But again, that's going to do it for us tonight. Scott, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I Also Hate Pit, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 